In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. One of my favorite preacher's stories is about a woman who had a simple prayer that she would uh, pray every day. Every day she could remember, she would pray for a side of bacon and a sack of cornmeal. That was all she wanted from God, a side of bacon and a sack of cornmeal. And so every morning she would get down on her knees in her kitchen and pray really loudly, God, please give me a side of bacon and a sack of cornmeal. It got to be such a thing that all the neighbors knew of her prayer and anybody passing by the house could hear her. And so it was sort of a town joke. At one point, the local scoundrel decided to play a trick on her. And so he went to the store, and you guess what he did. He bought a side of bacon and a sack of cornmeal, and he tossed them through her kitchen window. Plop! There they were. All of a sudden, she got up from her knees. She said, Thank you, God. You've answered my prayer. Thank you so much, God. And she ran out of the house and told everybody at church and everybody in town and everybody she could find. God had answered her prayer fully. Finally, the town scoundrel had had about as much of this as he could take. And when she had a whole crowd around her, he, he stood up and he said, You all should know it was me, not God. It was me who bought the bacon and the cornmeal, and I threw it through a window. Well, the lady paused for a minute or two, and then she looked around and she said, You know, the devil may have brought it, but it was God who sent it. <laughs> I love that lady's faith, not in a a God who answers prayer in the abstract, but a God who answers prayers in extremely concrete ways. She had the faith to believe in a God who might, who would, and who perhaps must take a very human form in order to answer prayers. In today's scriptures, God moves and acts all over the place. God does miracles, but they're not accomplished in visions or alternate universes. The miracles don't happen in some super spiritual place like a mountaintop or a place of retreat. God does act in those places, and God does sometimes get us alone to speak to us in prayer and dreams and visions and that little feeling in the gut where we just know it's God talking to us. But far more, far more often, God works through the mundane and the mortal. God works through the very person often or the thing or the institution that we might least expect. When we're hungry and walk down the street and almost get hit in the head with a sack of bacon or cornmeal, we might assume it's the town scoundrel, but it might be God. 
In the scripture we heard from the first book of the Kings, the the portion we heard is really the second part of the story. The the story about this widow at Zarephath and Elijah um, happens a little earlier. God tells Elijah to go to Zarephath and there he'll meet a widow and ask her for something to eat. And so he does just that, but he gets there and the only widow he meets is incredibly poor. She has very, very little. And yet out of her little, she shares with Elijah. Suddenly there's a miracle. Her scraps of food are turned into a full pantry for days to come. And so the lady sees Elijah as an absolute blessing. But then in today's reading, a little bit of time has elapsed and the lady's son has grown ill and seems to have died. And so the widow now blames Elijah, how quickly things change. This stranger that God sends for food now seems to have brought calamity. But she calls Elijah and Elijah comes back and Elijah does some sort of biblical CPR and the young man rises again. The widow of Zarephath might have prayed to a high and mighty God a long way off, but God instead sends this strange, hungry prophet who answers her prayers. God shows up in surprising ways in our second reading as well. God certainly surprises Paul, and God surprises the people who encounter Paul. In the letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul describes a little bit of his own conversion, his his great turnaround from having been a religious Jew who not only hated Christians, but persecuted Christians. And then Paul became a follower and lover of Jesus. There's no way that Paul could himself explain that conversion except through God. The only explanation is God. It's completely outside himself. God has given Paul a vision of Christ, and that vision so overtakes Paul that nothing else would do but for him to follow Jesus, the very one he tried to dissuade people from following. Paul was an outsider throughout. He was independent of the the faith and the followers of Jesus. And so in many ways, he was an unlikely person to take up the name of Jesus. He was suspected by those earlier disciples. And yet, what a perfect person for God to send to these far-flung places like Arabia and Syria and Cilicia and all over Asia Minor where Paul went. God sends them Paul, and Paul, because of being who he is, is able to show them Christ in his own particular way. And finally, in our gospel, the people get surprised there too. And here it's Jesus who heals. But we shouldn't just hear the story through thousands of years later. Imagine what it must have been like for the people of that day, the people in the town of Nain. They had just buried a child. They'd lost one of their own. They must have surely asked God, why did this happen? Why this child? Why any child? Why now? God answers their prayers in a strange sort of way, really, with the presence and the healing of Jesus, which must have surprised them just as much as it might startle us for a stranger to walk in the church and begin to do miracles. People in Jesus' day weren't looking for God to show up in the form of a human being, in the form of Jesus. 
And yet they received him and they understood him slowly. They allowed for the healing to happen. It all comes down to incarnation, to God becoming flesh. Whether one accepts that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that Jesus is God, the Son, working faith, has to be embodied or it just exists in the air. There's a famous rabbi named David Wolpe who used to teach at Jewish Theological Seminary uptown, but now he's out in Los Angeles at a great big synagogue there, at Sinai Temple. But a while back, he had a wonderful article in Time Magazine. It's an article I revisit from time to time because it's still very much true, true for our culture, true for our day. In this article, Rabbi Wolpe talks about the phrase that we we hear so often in studies and polls, and maybe we hear it from people we know and love. Maybe we say it ourselves. That phrase, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You may have heard it. It's extremely popular. I'm not religious, as though there's something really bad wrong with that. But I am spiritual, people say. In fact, according to a recent poll, one in five Americans uses that phrase now to describe her or his religious belief. Rabbi Wolpe manages not so much to criticize people who say that, but simply to point out that abstract feelings of warmth or wonder don't change anything. Institutions have problems, but institutions are the only way that ideas keep going. He asks, if books were enough, why have universities? If guns were enough, why have a military? If self-governance worked, then why have a government? The point is that if you want to do something lasting in this world, he writes, you will have to recall those wise words of the French Catholic writer Charles Piggy, who wrote, everything begins in mysticism, but it ends in politics. (laughs) Because it has to do with humans, with people. Wolpe is arguing about religion itself and about the necessary messiness and humanity of it all. But this is true, I think, even more when we begin to think about how God shows up for us, how God effects miracles among us, how God answers our prayers. If we expect God to work through people, if we take scripture seriously, then that means we will do certain things. We will regard our health as involving other people. We'll go to the doctor. We'll listen to the doctor. We'll follow a doctor's instructions. We'll weigh what they say and what others say. We'll pray all the while through, but understand that God works through human beings and institutions If we expect God to work through people, if we look for God to answer prayers through other people, sometimes in spite of other people, it means that we don't simply go to church and pray for a new job and expect God to somehow hand it to us. We don't just go to church and pray for a new relationship or a new whatever, fill in the blank. 
But it means that we trust God to work through ourselves and through people and institutions, through educational and training systems, through networks of other people, through all the various services and structures that might offer help. And we pray. Many of you know that wonderful story about the man who's... uh, who discovers that a flood is about to overtake his house, and so he crawls up onto the roof. And a boat comes by, and they say, won't you get in? And he says, no, 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 I've prayed to God, and God's going to take care of me. Um, A helicopter comes, and they say, won't you get on? And he says, no, 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 I've prayed to God, and God's going to take care of me. Eventually, the man dies and goes to heaven, and he says, God, what happened? I prayed to you. You didn't take care of me. And he says, I sent you a boat, I sent you a helicopter. What else did you want? (laughs) Sometimes the boat leaks. Sometimes the helicopter is noisy. (laughs) Sometimes people disappoint us. People hurt us. People let us down. Institutions are made of people, and so they will disappoint. They will fail. But God is God. And God continues to work through us all and through others and through all that we create. This afternoon or in the coming week, I encourage you to take a minute or two and think about a way or ways that God has shown up for you in physical, practical ways. It might have been in a time of great need, like when Elijah was hungry or the widow was poor. It might have been when you were sick or perhaps even near death, like those in today's scriptures. Or maybe it's never really occurred to you to think of God walking and living in our midst. But I invite you in the coming week to think about that. Picture God walking along 88th Street, showing up in the hospital waiting room, helping us in the market, wherever it is we may go. Because Christ, whose body is broken for us on the altar, is also available to us in the kitchen, in the social hall, in the street, in the office, in the playground, wherever the people of God may be. Thanks be to God for coming to us in Jesus Christ and for continuing to answer prayers in surprising and mysterious ways. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.